Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. Welcome back to the Football by Football Podcast. This is the College Football Breakdown Show brought to you by SeatGeek, the place to get tickets to this week's game. Download the free SeatGeek app today. Matt Chatham's my name. I'm your host, and I'm joined as always by Brady Quinn, former Notre Dame quarterback and NFL quarterback. Brady, how are you? Doing well, Matt. Just been uh, one of those weeks where you've got a lot of college football and NFL news, but uh, this weekend, Another opportunity for a lot of teams to kind of work their way towards trying to get in that top four of the college football playoff. It's kind of that fun hour. Uh, I don't know how how you feel about the playoff, just sort of as an overriding point, but I I remember a year ago still working at the Big Ten Network at BTN, and we're sort of eyeing this first sort of – hurdle that you get to right when we know a week from now when these when these first uh, rankings are going to come out and I just it's sort of a at the time I was like ah, I, I, am I down with the idea that they come out so early do I like this idea do I not a year later I kind of feel a sense of anticipation for them I'm not gonna lie I kind of like I kind of dig it I, I I don't know if I was its biggest proponent at first but now a week out I want to see my first set of rankings I want to start to play around with them and see how people are going to fall no, I actually I obviously love the college football playoff system. Uh, would I like it to be more than four teams? Of course, because how can you possibly yeah, have right. the power of five conferences, Matt, but not be able, so you're not able to include all the conferences <laughs> right. into it? And being the fact that I'm a Notre Dame alum, now I've got Notre Dame sitting out there as an independent, and they're like kind of the sixth team, I guess, that could possibly be biting for a spot. And even though they subtly align with the ACC, they're kind of on an island uh, on their own. And i got to tell you, man, you know, I had a call, actually, uh, with one of my employers. We had a conference call with Jeff Long with the College Football Playoff Committee this week. And one of the things we, we talked about was some of the criteria and talking about how they go about evaluating the teams that are put in the top 25 and really eventually the top four. And one of the things they kept talking about was uh, championships. And, and it was the first thing that kind of, like, struck me as it sounds like they're trying to kind of push out Notre Dame a little bit and forced them to join the conference because they kept talking about championships, uh, one being a part of it, obviously overall record. Uh, but then you look at strength of schedule, common opponents, you know, things of that nature that go into how they end up deciding which team should be in the top four. And uh, I, I got a little bit nervous uh, for Notre Dame. I don't know necessarily about this year. I think they actually stack up well with some of the cannibalism going on in some of these conferences. But I, I got to tell you, in the future – it looks like this playoff committee is trying to force Notre Dame to get into a conference if they don't expand it to eight teams. It is interesting to hear that little piece of news because I had thought that you just listening to some of Long's comments over the the you know year life of this thing, and he will drop little nuggets that tell you 
sort of where they're leaning, where they're thinking. I mean, last year when we were having these conversations about it's got to go to eight, it's got to go to eight. And they would bat those back, not with just a definitive no, but just sort of with their uh, pleasure with how things were. When a lot of America was saying otherwise, they they just always seemed to be sort of on a different plane (laughs) thinking different things. But that's not just a nudge. I mean, to think that they're – there's there's purpose behind saying those phrases anyway. I mean, to to think that, yeah, they want to push Notre Dame back into a conference to make them be a part of this, I don't know, that would be – too dramatic a move in my view if they're going to if we're if it's ever going to get changed and it doesn't sound like at least up into like 2020 till they've even really would reconsider this kind of thing that was a date that i heard thrown out uh but the idea that that you're not going to push someone with one unhappy fan base i mean a year ago tcu's probably your most legitimate uh, crier out there that they go and just uh, win in a bloodbath in their bowl game and they're you know they have a plausible argument for where they could be in the national title discussion it's just at least subjective at that point I think if if something to move the dial you need more than one pissed off fan base I think maybe in a situation like this year where say if as you have you proposed on some of the uh, your articles on football by football maybe a Pac-12 team gets left out maybe you have a, a real solid one win team or even two or whatever in pack that that is left out uh, and you have Notre Dame. So you, you have two sort of monsters, say it's Stanford, say it happens to be Stanford, which is a, you know, it's a, it's a smart school, but it's a relative blue blood school in, in college football as well. Stanford and Notre Dame both sit on the outside, two pissed off, uh, well-moneyed, well-endowment uh, type programs. And I don't know, I just, maybe that would be enough to, to push them to, to action. But TCU that's upset, I don't think they cry it here. Yeah, it's interesting um, when you look at how some of these conferences have adjusted just in one year of the college football playoff being around. Right. For example, you mentioned TCU. TCU wouldn't have even gone last year, Matt. It actually would have been Baylor because the Big 12 implemented a tie-breaking strategy in which head-to-head right. play becomes the ter- determining factor. So now if you go look back at last year and even the final ranking kind of showed that with the college football playoff committee, it would have been Baylor even though TCU looked to be the better team at the end of the year. This year now, with, with the injury to Seth Russell and Baylor, now enter Jared Stidham at quarterback, you don't necessarily know what you're going to get, but on our call today, talking with Jeff Long, he did mention the fact that, look, this is very similar to the Ohio State situation a year ago. We're not going to make any rash decision on Baylor or count them out. We want to see how right. well they play with the personnel and see how they play from here on out. Um, they have a clean slate. We view them from a week-to-week basis, and we try to make a lot of our judgments based on that. So, uh, he, he did draw a parallel to that scenario last year. And obviously, if you remember last year in the Ohio State, Cardell Jones ended up leading the national championship. So maybe <laughs> right, that right. guy for Baylor this year, who knows? Yeah, who knows? And I mean, that, that'll be probably one of the biggest storylines as we had in here. But I think the one thing that helps, I guess, Long's case down the road is he knows a lot of these teams still have to play one another. So I think, I think if anything, they benefit benefit off this uncertainty that we all have. Now we get fired up. We talk about what if this happens? What if that happens? It keeps interest high, keeps people clicking, keeps people listening to the radio shows and the podcasts like this. And all of a sudden in the end, like I said, you get one unhappy fan base. Nah, we can live with that. You know, you just hope the, the unhappy fan base isn't, uh, Michigan or Alabama or someone that's just so revered within the sport or within the sport within the NCAA community that they've got enough pull to really walk into one of those those committee meetings and say, hey, this ain't right. We got to fix this now. But I just don't feel like 
I, I, I'm, I'm dreaming for chaos. I've always done that because I just simply believe that college kids are in college to learn about competition. This feels more like a preordained thing. As you said, you know, there's only, there's obviously five power conferences and only four spots, so it can never be right. And you don't, you never want to admit to a system like that in a situation where you're, you're touting it, that it's a higher education system (laughs) that, that doesn't make simple logic sense. So it's never going to make sense. You know what the other issue is, though? I mean, even if we expand to eight teams, to me, whenever you involve people, Matt, it's going to be flawed, man. There's human error. We're all biased. I mean, you have an AD in Pat Hayden. He's the AD at USC right now. He's on this college football playoff committee. So right, right. I, understand, I, I understand he leaves the room when they talk about USC and they talk about the Pac-12, and they have implemented strategies to counteract the fact that He's biased and, and what, who he represents. But my issue is right now is how focused really is he to this college football playoff committee when he's out searching for the next head coach at USC? And even on top <laughs> right. of that, you always got to wonder, too, is, is he possibly persuading you know, certain coaches here or there? I mean, it might make more sense for them to get to USC sooner rather than later. Maybe his votes somehow mimic that in not voting in a certain team if he's trying to take that head coach and get him at USC sooner. I mean, who knows how that really goes out? I'm not trying to play a conspiracy theory. I'm just trying to point out it's going to be a flawed system anytime people are involved. I almost wish we go back to using the computerized system that we had for the BCS, then use that for the four teams or use that for the eight teams, and then at least we check out all biased altogether. Well, you're just you're highlighting conflicts of interest, and I think those are always important to point out. And, and if they exist, it's not so much a conspiracy theory. It's just simply – it's logical that at some point those will become an, in, an issue to a human being. I mean, that's really all it is. Uh, my, my biggest thing when, when pointing to eight is because I guess I believe in sort of the statistical model of all of this in that if you, you know, college football has a long history, right? It's, it's not as if we're, we're guessing how these things will turn out, but if you go back into sort of college football's long history and you, you go back to all the teams that have won national championships or co-national championships in the history of, of what would be you know, a history of bowl games, history of, of national championships being simply given out. There's, there's no, there's no team that would be ranked beyond, beyond the eight. There's never been a team that, you know, was the 12th ranked team or something that, you know, won its bowl game in such amazing fashion that they would have been in consideration. I think every t- issue where you'd look at where there's, you know, a legitimate controversy over who, who should have or shouldn't have been there, at least once you're in the eight, uh, you're, you're, you're at the edge of statistical plausibility. And I think that's always going to be the best case for – I know that at some point the ninth team's going to argue, or if you went 16 to 17th would argue. But the problem – why I feel best about eight is because nine, your case isn't very good, buddy. Basically what you're arguing is, you know, that old uh, dumb and dumber thing. You're saying I've got a chance. But what, what, this <laughs> tournament, what this tournament should be is, you know, we're dealing with – comparing non unlike things we're comparing a bunch of SEC teams playing each other against a bunch of big 10 teams playing each other so we know that there's going to be some some problem uh, but anyway so uh, the, the issue here is there's always going to be error so at least I think if you go back to what's a, a statistical probable outcome you can't do better than that as you mentioned especially when it's humans voting Let's pause for a moment to recognize our sponsor. The NFL season is well underway. SeatGeek is the place to get tickets to this week's games. 
My listeners can use promo code FBF in the SeatGeek app and get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. It takes less than a minute to download the app today. Download that SeatGeek app. They do a ton ton of things that other ticketing sites do not. First, SeatGeek pulls in ticket options from hundreds of online ticket sellers to create a one-stop shop for tickets. When you shop on SeatGeek, you're, you're seeing virtually every ticket option available for that game. All on one page, no need to go anywhere else. Also, they have this great feature called Deal Score. It ranks every ticket on the market with a 1 to 100 value score and plots the best deals on a color-coded interactive map. So you can easily identify the best ticket values in the building at a glance. Finally, SeatGeek's mobile app makes the ticket buying process seamless and easy. No more typing squiggly letters you can't read into a box that the other sites make you do. On SeatGeek, you can store your credit card, and once you find a ticket you want to buy, you can complete the purchase with just two quick taps. There's no faster way to buy tickets. To redeem your promo code and save 20 bucks on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app today. Enter promo code FBF in the app. SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. Every ticket purchased on SeatGeek is backed by a 100% guarantee. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code FBF today. All right, so here, I'm going to pivot here real quick uh, because as much as we spend and we'll finish up the show talking through sort of specific scenarios and sort of the exciting season we've now entered and who will be involved, I wanted to pause for just a second because it's great to have you on because uh, you you played a, one of the biggest programs in college football and really a lot of the big time big hitters in college football right now I, I don't remember a time maybe historically this is inaccurate but a time where this many big time programs or I mean at least historically big time programs have gone through coaching transitions especially in season which is or at least in the uncertainty of a season uh it's jerry kills news at minnesota when jerry kill has just decided to uh to retire under the advice of his doctor for his health issues uh this has been sort of a an ongoing thing that is you know someone who was an employee uh, you know working at btn for a couple of years and when when jerry had his uh his uh, fainting or is the, uh, the epilepsy crept back up on him a year ago, I believe it was September 14th, second week, something like that of, of the season. Uh, it happened in game. How do you handle this coach? You know, like what, what in the world goes through your mind when, you know, you're, you're a health risk in the midst of trying to lead other men and how difficult that situation would be. And one of the things I found so interesting today was in Jerry's, in Jerry's, uh, comments was that he wasn't willing to coach from the booth so he didn't want to be a distraction he certainly didn't want his teammates or the other coaching staff or the end game people to worry about him collapsing but a, a compromise for him that he wasn't willing to take was to go upstairs now now granted his, his doctors are saying don't do it either anyway I'll walk away you need to walk away for the for your own health and for your family but I just thought it was interesting that you know he's an all-in guy if he can't do it right he, he's just not going to do it his actual uh, interview as he resigns, uh, it was incredibly moving. And uh, I even got a little bit choked up watching him. This is a guy who devoted his life to football. He talked about the realities of what it means to him as a human being to all of a sudden leave the game. And even as former players, Matt, we both go through that, you know, had the transition in life and finding our identity and all of that. And he as a man sat up there in front of all the media and talked about point. The line he used was, I've never stolen in my life, and I'm not about to start stealing now. And he basically was summarizing the fact that he didn't want to coach if he couldn't do it the way he, he knew how best. And uh, it was incredibly moving. Uh, I, 
obviously my thoughts and prayers, I'm sure as yours are, you know, with him and his family, because uh, he was a heck of a coach. He really did bring Minnesota back into the fray there in the Big Ten. Uh, and as far as making them competitive again and bringing that program up. So those will be some big shoes to fill. Uh, but, yeah, you mentioned that there's a lot of other programs out there when you talk about the likes of, of Miami and, and, you know, Southern Cal and, and South Carolina and even UCF for, for as, as strong as they've been the past few years. This year they've been really bad. Um, right. Maryland. I mean, Illinois before the season even started. I mean, these are legitimate programs that I think there are a lot of guys looking around right now saying, you know, I could go in there and do a great job right away. I mean, you know, Illinois and Maryland probably don't sound like attractive jobs to certain coaches, but I'll tell you what, that Maryland, that Baltimore area where you can actually recruit, are you kidding me? If, if they can get, start getting some of that talent to stay at Maryland and start going to school there, they're going to be extremely competitive in the Big Ten. And when you're looking at the Illinois, same thing in, as far as Chicago. I mean, there's a ton of talent, high school talent in, in, in Chicago, and if you could start – recruiting that area. I, mean, I know Ron Zook did when he was there and he, and he was able to bring back Illinois and make them a little bit more competitive with a guy named Juice Williams and some of the other talented players they had. Right. But, uh, I, I mean, obviously you know, USC and Southern Cal or uh, what I'm referring to Southern Cal, Southern or South Carolina and Miami. And those right. are very, very sought after jobs. Um, so I'll be curious to see the types of guys that fill those. If, if those schools look to the NFL they try to pull someone that way and look for a big game and right. grab in that way, or if they try to stay within uh, their alumni base and maybe the hot new name or a, you know a guy like a Jim McElwain who who goes to Florida and is able to turn them around basically in one season. Yeah, the, go the Nick Saban route or or go the the in-house route or yeah, I, I guess the thing that 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 sort of leaps off the page to me is. I'm, you know, again, my, my point of view, my perspective usually comes from a Big Ten angle because I just, I grew up in Iowa. I grew up a Hawkeye fan, a big time Hayden Fry fan and, and all of that and sort of died in the wool, black and gold. And I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, Jerry Kill leaves under these circumstances. Tracy Clays takes over, which he did before when there were issues a year ago. Uh, it's, it's not, it's not unfathomable if you were a, if you were a, a Michigan or excuse me, a Minnesota uh, commit already, you know, or a guy that was had planned to go here, or you, I don't think this dramatically changes your feeling on the school. I think uh, the Jerry Kill story is obviously a sad one. Uh, he's only 54 years old, but I, I, the one thing I do wonder though is how a kid uh, might see this sort of from the big picture. He steps back, he says, you know what, I was also getting recruited by X, Y, and Z. And I really like Jerry. You know, he's a he's a real straight shooter, as you said. He just seems like a really solid guy. Uh, and I made my decision in part because of what he told me my role would be, what I felt about him, all those kinds of things. And he's not going to be there now. Well, maybe now I'm going to rethink things before signing day in the spring. Uh, and then you also look at it, the moves you referenced, the moves you alluded to. Maryland and uh, what was the other one? Maryland and Illinois are both, are, are, are both obviously Big Ten schools as well. The Big Ten, which I thought had made a ton of progress a year ago with their bowl record and with Ohio State breaking through, three in-season moves? 
that you know that's that that seems unusual obviously jerry's is different but it seems like a little bit of turmoil or maybe that's a good thing maybe with those other two schools it's a good thing because the standard's so much high so much higher than before where being three and eight and five and six and four and eight or whatever the hell it is isn't good enough anymore but i just wonder how things like these not the jerry kill situation aside but maybe a usc kid either south carolina or, or southern california or any of these other spots how this kind of in-season move would affect your decision to go to that school? You know, it, it's interesting as I watched, um, you know, some of the different, I guess, media around uh, the, the firing of, of Steve Sarkeesian out uh, at USC at Southern Cal. And I, as I watched Steve Spurs step down at South Carolina, you could see both ways. I mean, there's a kid, I think the linebacker, five-star recruit name of uh, Dylan Hayes or Dylan Haynes, who decommitted. Uh, to USC, had an immediate impact. Mm-hmm. P.J. Blue, a defensive back for South Carolina, he decommitted uh, and opened back up his recruiting, which one they, they obviously should do. Um, but I don't think any of these kids, at least not when I was being recruited by a bunch of schools, was I wasn't going to necessarily pick the school based on the coach. Because I, I okay. realized, because I had, a, I had a coach that was fired in high school after my sophomore year. So I realized that's a real pro- uh, possibility. And even then... Right. Let's say you, you let's say you go for your quarterback coach or offensive coordinator. Those guys want to be head coaches one day. They they, they want to elevate right. you know in their profession. And I think if they're straight shooters, they tell you that. Uh, so you can't necessarily go for the coach. I think you got to go for the atmosphere as far as where you see yourself living the next four to five years. If you can get right. the education that you want to eventually have the career you want and and then play a high level of football if it fits you know what you want from an athletic standpoint. So. You know, I think those things should fall more into criteria, although I do think the head coach obviously plays a huge factor for these young men in particular that are being recruited this year because, look, these guys are most likely going to give three to four years. So these players are going to have these coaches for a while. But what you had mentioned about Jerry Kill, I think if I was looking at Minnesota and I was a recruit, I probably would have said, well, you know, he, there's a good chance he might retire while, you know, I'm playing sure. there and, there's, and someone else is going to sure. take over. Or even, or even if there was a health issue, knowing you're aware of that, I'm sure – most recruits' parents did a good enough job explaining to them the realities of what could take place with a coach like Jerry Kill. But these other circumstances, with Steve Spurrier kind of stepping down the way he did and Georgia O'Leary of Central Florida, uh, a bit surprising. And I think if not for all the success that they've had, I think a lot of people would have maybe called them out a bit for maybe quitting on their team because they had the bad season. Right. Well, and I, I guess I'm wondering if if, if you take – the right kid at the right position group with the right coach in his year. I totally agree with you that by and large, I think most kids pick the environment, as you mentioned, you know, the, you know, Notre Dame is Notre Dame. I mean, the program that I think at some point, if I'm 16, 17, 18 years old, being recruited hard by a school like that, I'm may, I'm way more into the golden dome thing than I am. Whoever's holding the whistle, you know, it, I, maybe that's just me. I think it might be different. You know, it might be different kid to kid. But you might just be blown yeah. away by this is Notre Dame. You know what I mean? But if I'm choosing yeah. US, if I'm choosing South Carolina, if I'm choosing that USC school over, say, Alabama, you know, at the time I'm being recruited by a lot of SEC schools. I'm, I've chosen to go play with Steve Spurrier. And I, I bought what he's selling. I, I didn't go to Florida. I didn't go to Alabama. I'm, I bought Steve, okay? Uh, and Steve was a Heisman winner. Steve knows the NFL. Steve can get me to the NFL because Steve is that kind of knowledgeable guy, and he gets me. He's a quarterback. Well, you know what? Steve's not there now, and they're going to replace him with a defensive head coach or something. You know, just something along those lines where it's like, you know what? 
that might change my, my train of thought because under normal circumstances, yeah, I'm picking the, the, the school and the, the community and what I'm going to be here for the next four or five years. But I think there are those special cases where, you know, I, I'm a linebacker. I'm going, I'm a linebacker and I'm going to, I'm going to linebacker you. I'm going to Penn state. I'm going to go play in the NFL when I'm done. Uh, and then all of a sudden you get, you know, uh, an offensive minded coach that wants to change the scheme or something like that. Maybe it registers with an 18 year old kid. Maybe it doesn't. No, no, no doubt about it. I mean, and actually, if I go back to my college career, you know, we're talking about differences in types of coaches. I mean, look, I went to play, you know, for a guy named Tyron Willingham. He was about yeah. one of the most respectful, polite uh, men you'll ever be around. He, he was, uh, grew up in the West Coast system under Denny Green with the Minnesota Vikings and then worked his way into the college football ranks, had a, a great career at Stanford, then came to Notre Dame. Um, and, and, and his kind of sell to me was not anything about what a lot of other universities tried to. It was about making me a better young man and that would inherently make me a better football player and what the school had to offer academically and all that. And obviously that didn't work out. You know, being fired after my sophomore year and then enter Charlie right. Weiss, who you know very well, Matt. And as a, right. as a former player, you all of a sudden get thrusted into this entirely different uh, way of doing things, way of practicing, way you're talked to as a coach. And, yeah. you know, it, it can be off-putting for some players. Some guys transfer, some recruits decommit uh, just because it's a completely different personality they have to deal with. And they don't have to go to school for four or five years and deal with that. Um, so, and believe me, I'm not sure from your experience with Charlie White, <laughs> you've got some stories as well. Um, it, of course. You know, he's, he, he, he can be brash and very blunt. Um, so I'm, I'm sure there were some kids who were rubbed the wrong way in the recruiting process uh, with him, but, you know, there was a lot of kids who maybe liked that, who, who knew that he was a right. straight shooter and how he handled things, and um, they were attracted to that. So there's no doubt about it. It's, it's funny, though, when we're talking about these coaches, you know, resigning in the middle of the season, getting fired in the middle of the season, it, it's different because you can't hire them until, you know, let, let, let's just say if it's, it's an NFL coach. You can't hire them until right. after the playoffs if, if, if he's the top-of-the-line guy. Right. Like when, right. when Charlie right. Weiss came to Notre Dame, you guys played in the Super Bowl, Matt. That was one of the years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So he came in I February believe, to get our you, coach. Did he not come in interview? I think during the, during the two week off, you know, like you get the week off before we go down and travel. I feel like there was a day where Charlie wasn't there or something. Maybe I'm screwing up the timeline, but I think there was a no, time right. where it was you, like he, yeah, he was allowed to concentrate on Notre Dame for today and then get back to the Super Bowl stuff after. Yes, but but so think about that. Like we had to wait in that recruiting class. You sign your letter of <laughs> right. intent the first Wednesday in February, and he's out there winning right. the Super Bowl. So. You know, it's right. like an entirely different deal when you're talking about these schools searching for coaches if they want to wait on a guy like that um, versus trying to get a college coach. You know, maybe they found a, a guy that is going to play in a bowl game, but even then they got to wait till the end of December. Uh, now you only got a couple of <laughs> months to get on the recruiting road and, and try to make it happen. So uh, it's just interesting to me. I've never been a big fan of firing a coach or even having one resign in the middle of the season. I, I would make sure that, you know, the, the things, there's things going on in the back rooms that need to be done to get the next coach but you let the guy finish it out and, and maybe you make it known that it's going to be his last season. So I, here's the thing I struggle with, and I'm, I'm curious your perspective on this. I mean, obviously we're aiming here for a, a player's perspective kind of thing. And I, you mentioned sort of the, the obviously wildly different personalities of Tyrone Willingham and Charlie Weiss. Now, again, I know Charlie well, as you mentioned, he comes from that Bill Parcells school through Belichick school of sort of verbal hard knocks. Like we, we talk different, right? It's, it's very blunt. It's very sometimes, 
I use the word demeaning, but I'm not saying that Charlie's the only one that does that. Just ever, it's a it's almost like a motivational tool where you're really brash with people, you know. But it's something yeah. that is totally normal, and I'm fine with it now. And I've lived through that for a decade, so it just rolls right off me. I expect it. I almost sometimes find myself doing it. But the the point of it is, is not whether it's right or wrong or anything like that. It's just that it's different, right? It's completely it's completely opposite. So my question to you is something that we've batted around quite a bit on uh, when at BTN where we would talk about, you know, fluidity, like the ability to move in and out. Uh, Jared DiNardo used to be uh, Illinois' head coach, or excuse me, Indiana's head coach, uh, LSU's head coach, a uh, Notre Dame offensive lineman back in the day, uh, would talk yeah. about just sort of the ability to move from program to program, whether it was for it or against it, and sort of this notion of, hey, we, you know, you are committing to school, and we're trying to teach young kids about commitment. But that said, the coaches have fluidity. They're able to go wherever the hell they want when they want, provide, you know, some of them leave 10-year contracts in year three, you know, that kind of thing. So when the personality is that different, where it's like, hey, you know what? I was down with Tyrone. Uh, he was my guy. I, I saw eye to eye with him. I chose him because I didn't want to play for that other Charlie Weiss kind of guy at another school that I saw, you know, in, in recruiting. I, I specifically chose not him, you know. Uh, how do you feel about, uh, you know, student athletes ability to just change his mind then? Like if the coach leaves, I should have sort of free release and be able to go wherever I want. I'm pretty sure you can actually move without being penalized for it. Now I'd have to go back and double check on that. I could be wrong. Uh, but I think, I know the NCAA has at least talked about it if that's not the case, because they didn't feel what was proper that these coaches can jump in and out of contracts or be fired. And, and all of a sudden these kids are held accountable to these scholarships when no, no, the whole world's been thrown upside down. Um, and, I, and I know for sure as far as signing them, their letter of intent, uh, that can change as well. Oh, that can change. Uh, Absolutely. If, if they've Absolutely. Already signed. So, um, yeah, they've definitely done their best to kind of help out with that. Uh, and, and, and I'm sure they'll continue to try to adhere to the athletes as much as possible because, I mean, look, that, there, there could be another scenario too where you have a standout player um, let's say like a Leonard Fournette or or a Dalvin Cook, and right. all of a sudden, if you had a, a legendary coach like Les Miles or or um, Jimbo Fisher, all of a sudden get fired or or maybe resign, those guys might say, "Well, I'm not coming back. Why, why would I want to come back and play right. for a different coach?" We've talked right. about this before. Why not just sit out another year, or why not just you know wait and petition see if I can get into the NFL draft? Well, one one sort of final thought in this coaching issue, and I thought this was important since I had you on, and we can kind of lend a little player perspective here. I, I think if you're a fan sitting at home, you hadn't played high school football, college football, or maybe you played high school and not college and, you know, don't have any experience in sort of the world behind the red curtain and all that. If you were a Minnesota fan and you were sort of a hardcore fan of, you know, Jerry Kill, you liked what he's done. You love that he's turned the program around. You've loved that he's made them competitive. And you were concerned about what this now meant for even just the rest of your season. I know Minnesota's not having a great year. But or say any of these situations, say, you know, the decision to drop any of these coaches in season, at least in an amicable situation like it is with Jerry Kill, a sad situation. What what is your view of a, as a player of what the actual impact on the football games would be? Like, I think from outside football view is that the head coach is, you know, the guy with the big giant notebook and uh, 10,000 plays or something, you know. Uh, and I, it may have been different at the places you were. Obviously, Charlie was a hands-on guy, had coached quarterbacks before he had come there in the NFL. I don't know Jerry's situation there. I can't speak to it, but is it? it's not always a bright-line thing where the head coach 
is sometimes a figurehead. He's sometimes the emotional leader, the guy that sets the tempo for the week, but he has very little sometimes to do with the actual game planning on either side of the ball. Is that fair? Um, yeah, I think it's fair. I think there's look, there's a number of ways that everyone kind of reacts to these sorts of scenarios. You know, in some circumstances, I think it, Jerry Kills is very specific. You know, that's going to be a team that I think plays for their coach, right? He wasn't forced out. He didn't resign. It wasn't like that. Right, right, exactly. Um, so, so I think they respond kind of in his name, and maybe they play somewhat inspired because of the type of man this guy was and what he meant to them as a mentor and as a coach. Um, but if you look at some of these other places, I mean, you know, the wheels could fall off the wagon. I don't think it'd be much worse uh, for Central Florida, uh, but for South right. Carolina, I think you know they're kind of lost in the dark now, trying to pick up the pieces. Uh, I, I know again they feel, you know, confident that they'll be able to get a good coach to fix it. I've even heard how about this rumor, by the way, Rich Rodriguez to South Carolina, um, which would be an interesting jump and move across the country. But you know, he's been <laughs> right. on that side. He's been on that side before West Virginia. He's got some roots there, um, and, and he knows how to recruit South Florida very well. He still does actually at Arizona, and he knows how to recruit that country well. So that'd be an interesting one, not to get off topic, but he's already in one. You know, sorry to interrupt, but isn't he? He's already in one retirement community. Does he need to move across the country <laughs> yeah. to the other one? <laughs> like do you, do you in... consider Columbia, South Carolina, retirement community? I don't know. It is active, but you're close enough to Hilton Head and a Disto Bay and all that where, you know, it's it's right over there. <laughs> you know? And it's not yeah. like he's in Scottsdale either. He's in, you know, he can make a case. I, I, I'm, I'm kidding, obviously, but I, I do kind of look at those two programs as parallel to one another. Maybe, maybe you don't. Uh, I, neither of those are really legacy programs in my view, but teach his own, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. And, and but I think, uh, but the other way is, and, and like I said, the wheels kind of fall off the wagon. You've got kids right. who are, um, you know, distressed, and and they're kind of all of a sudden questioning bigger picture things. Like, is this going right. to be the place where I stay and finish out college football? Am I going to like the next guy that comes in? Is he going to run a scheme that I like or that plays to my strengths? Right. I mean, when you look at the landscape of college football, um, Rich Rodriguez' system is going to be vastly different than what Steve Spurrier was running at South Carolina, if indeed that, that, you know, came to be or came to fruition, uh, who knows what's going to happen uh, with the absence of Al Golden now, what kind of system they'd want to run. I personally think they should do something that utilizes both, you know, your being the back of the running back and Brad Kaya, but we'll have to wait and see. Right. And then you go on the West coast with, with uh, Southern Cal. I mean, Cody Kessler will be graduating after this year. So you're kind of starting over uh, in general at the quarterback position either way, right? as, as well as some of the pieces. Yeah. Either way. So, they're going to have to kind of they'll, – they'll be able to rebuild with not only a new system but a new quarterback uh, leading their offense. So that'll be interesting to see uh, how that'll all work out. Well, one final thought. I mean, I guess I guess the thing I wanted to, to sort of impress to, to listeners of the show that didn't have the experience is – maybe this is me just speaking from my own personal experience, and, and yours might be different because your your guy was actually – your head coach was, was pretty offensively involved. I think he was, Charlie was your play caller too, was he not? For the he first was. couple of years, he was he, okay. Yep, so was. I guess my th- okay. So I guess my thought is more, you know, if you're concerned about what what the direction of the team might be with, you know, the place they're going to be called, or something as simple as that. I I came from a system in, in, in where I went to school at the University of South Dakota, uh, an FCS school now uh, that did not. Uh, I probably saw the head coach at my morning team meeting. 
you know, to sort of set the direction. Hey, we've got school blank this week. This is what we got to do better than a week ago. Here's how we're going to beat them. You know, da da da. Sort of set the itinerary for week. Set the schedule. Uh, he's directing the two coordinators, but I never got the sense that he was building the game plans. Uh, I, I guess the thing I'm trying to think of here behind the behind the red curtain is when you're on a football team, at least in my view, uh, different than your situation would have been at Notre Dame. Most of my interaction is with my coordinator with my position coaches, with uh, a lot of the guys that I see on my side of the ball. And I guess the thought here is, for me personally, at least with whatever I had going on in college, if my head coach kept his job, but my defensive coordinator got fired in season, that might actually be more disruptive. It, like It actually might change the scheme or might change what I have to do day to day. Obviously, Jerry Kill situation, sad. I'm not, I'm not trying to minimize that i'm just simply saying if you're you're a hardcore gophers fan and you're wondering what what are they going to do now jerry's not there there's a lot of times in a lot of situations where the coordinators and your position coaches are really heavy-handed on what actually you do on a day-to-day basis is that fair i mean with the quarterback situation i think it's different but i think that is the way a lot of other players experience it no i think you're dead on with that um and i guess when you make a change at the head coach but really your coordinators are the ones that are handling the offensive and defensive calls or special teams in that case as well. Um, You know, you all of a sudden then wonder though, whoever gets elevated to that title, how it then affects their ability as a play caller, because they've got so many more things on their plate that they have to handle. Yeah. Dan Campbell, baby. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Flip up and leave. Right off of the Miami Dolphins. Um, Right. But, but look, I mean, it, it, look, bigger picture, though, I think uh, you're right. I mean, those are the guys that when you have a change, uh, your coordinator position. For example, I just did a game for Texas. You know, they ended up changing over uh, their play call. Now, they haven't changed titles, but Jay Norvell, who came from Oklahoma just a year ago, was right. fired by Bob Stoots. Charlie Strong hires him as their uh, wide receivers coach, but now he's the uh, – they call him the in-game play caller or something like that. And, <laughs> right. and Sean Watson, who used Busy to – who's titles. still titled as the offensive coordinator, uh, he has the title still, but he's not calling the plays. And it's interesting to see that dynamic of how that works because they made a change, and with the change, Jay Norvell has now really created a spark. I mean, Texas has won uh, three games now under Jay Norvell's lead uh, as, as far as all that's gone and, and really helped guide them with a completely different offense where they've got this running pack- package with Tyrone Swoops and more of a running-based offense with Gerard Hurd. I mean, it almost looked similar to the exact opposite of the New England Patriots versus the Jets last week, Matt. They basically ran the ball 54 <laughs> times, and then right. they, they had like f- like five or six passes that were essentially the jet sweep where the quarterback pushes it forward to the wide receiver. <laughs> right, right. So it doesn't right, even count. Right. It counts as a pass. Yeah, it count count. Yeah. <laughs> so it, but, but, it didn't count that. Yeah. You're right. I mean, the coordinators can play just a big of effect, good and bad, on, on, a, on right. a player and really on, on a team just as much as a head coach at times. Uh, you know what, as a matter of time, we're not going to get into all the, all the playoff stuff, but I think that's okay. A little little anticipation for what goes on next week when we finally get the rating, the first set of rankings on here and we get a sort of pass through where things stand. But on that issue of coaching, I wanted to just one thought popped into my head when we were going through Sark's issue out in USC and some of these other new vacancies, new vacancies. And each year, 
you know, coaches take new jobs. You know, the, the Wisconsin job was vacant. The Nebraska job was vacant. Then Oregon State. And there was this sort of circular thing that was going on. A lot of different places. Pittsburgh, uh, you know, new jobs that were up. And then someone jumps on them. Uh, we know Chris Peterson was uh, maybe four years ago, I believe it was, was probably the hottest coaching candidate in in college football and had been for like a five-year run three four five-year run whatever it was because he just had elevated Boise State from nothing and you're thinking gosh this is the guy that can do it for my program I believe he was offered the UCLA job at one point is that correct yeah he was he's been offered a number of jobs throughout the time that he's turned yeah. down even back to when he was at Boise State Right, exactly. And that's my point. So when he was at Boise State, he turned several down, several big time jobs. And it was kind of a head scratcher when he finally took the job at Washington. I'm not saying it's not gorgeous up there because it is, it sits in the mountains. It's just a really, it's a really nice place. It's in the, you know, it's, it's in the pack and they've struggled and it hasn't been the Steve Entman days <laughs> necessarily, but it's still a good program. But does a guy like Chris Peterson now as USC becomes available? Does he regret that or, or how – I guess I'm just thinking in my head how these coaches sort of determine which one you do take and which one you don't. And if there's that sense of regret when, again, when one like that comes up and it wasn't available the year that I was available. You know, that's an interesting question, Matt. Um, and I think when USC and Pat Hayden in particular, the athletic director, if he's going to be part of their search committee, with, which it sounds like he is, Sometimes these universities outsource to a board of regents to go about to find their candidates and so forth uh, because obviously the, the AD and uh, some of the other people involved and the president obviously have other things to do on a day-to-day basis. But anyways, um, you got to think a couple things. One, do they knock on Chris Peterson's door again? I mean, USC just watched Washington waltz in to the Coliseum and beat them earlier this season on a Thursday night game. Right. Uh, why, why not right. ask again? Maybe that looks more appealing now to him. Um, and the other thing is, you've got an interim head coach you've gone to twice now, in Clay Helton, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, and why not continually go – why keep going back to him and not give him a shot? Um, he seems to be the right guy for the job every time there's something bad that happens. Maybe he's the <laughs> right, right guy right. for the job in the first place. Uh, so kind of interesting to see um, how USC really responds to this. Because uh, I, I, I think, you know, Helton could be a guy who ends up stepping in and be able to do a great job the rest of the season, he might be the guy or a guy like Peterson now who maybe said no once before, maybe regrets it, and, and maybe he looks even that much more appealing. Maybe USC's offer wasn't as great when he was uh, at Boise State. Now, maybe now since he took the Washington Huskies into the Coliseum and beat them, maybe that offer becomes a little bit sweeter. Yeah, maybe it's just a Costanza thing where he says, uh, my opposite instinct must be true. Pat Hayden passed on him twice, and at this point, <laughs> at this point whatever was opposite I was thinking then must be the right answer, correct? All right, well, anyway. Yeah, yeah thanks, it's got to be, right? It's got to be that. So, all right, Brady, take care, buddy. Have a great weekend. Thanks for having me on. Look forward to speaking with you next week. Thanks so much for listening to the Football by Football podcast. As always, the FBF podcast can be found for streaming or download on footballbyfootball.com or blogtalkradio.com. You can download the FBF podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the TuneIn Radio app. For the daily insightful stuff from guys like Brady and myself and many, many more, make sure to check out the footballbyfootball.com Facebook page and give us a follow on Twitter at FBBYF. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Night, Lucky. Night, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.